welcome to the 447th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. We're getting rain here in Florida finally. Uh, afternoon thunder showers, kind of nice. Cooling things off a little bit, taking some of the humidity out. No hurricanes lately, so all is well. Um, had my biggest week, 51 miles last week, going into the Dana 100K here in a few weeks, the first part of October, and then followed by a 50K in, um, in November. So that's what's on the running schedule now. The swim run is off the books because of various things, including low water. Um, still trying to keep, keep fit, keep healthy. Uh, strength training is always ever in my mind for those future 100 milers that are coming up the first part of the year and then hopefully in August. So I've got to get stronger, faster, fitter, and it starts now. I can't wait till uh, no cramming for a 100-mile race in January, that's for sure. So pull-ups, single-leg exercises, pistol squat progression, planks, core exercises, working on my back, trying to keep it healthy despite... 3-0, the giant German Shepherd who um, occasionally loses his mind when he sees uh, another dog. So that's been my biggest fight is teaching 3 how to respond to other animals and to keep him in check while we try to do a little run and keep me from getting hurt and staying off the ground. Um, it's getting better, not there yet. So um, I don't know which will happen first, um, 3-0 being good on a run or me being able to do a pistol squat. So far, they're neck and neck. But anywho, um, this has been a week of trying to translate, uh, fill in the holes between potential conversations between doctors and patients or the lack thereof, things that maybe were left out, things that were possibly not heard, um, things that people may sign up for that they're not sure that they wanted to sign up for. Um, and one of them um, was very, very interesting. If you're trying to reverse lifestyle diseases and you're sick, you have to be a little bit more strict than, you know, the guy that is young and has got some room and some time. But if you're really trying to back the, the boat off from the edge of the, of the going down the waterfalls, then you, then you have to be actually pretty tight about things. But it comes a point that being tight about your nutrition and living, um, or it may come into a crossroad. And I think that's where a lot of people fail because it's just too much for them to bear. I got a call from somebody that said that the reason why they needed a bypass was because they um, were probably using maple syrup and that causes, caused oxidative stress and that's what caused them to have a heart attack despite their very, very good plant-based nutrition. And is maple syrup bad? Now... Before everybody runs out and buys gallons of maple syrup and starts putting it on everything and drinking it, that is not what my ultimate answer is. And I know, again, we're going to go to the point where a lot of people only hear the first sentence. So I've got to be very careful what that first sentence is so you don't do the takeaway. Um, but the takeaway is that, no, I do not believe that is what caused this person to need a bypass. And now I'm going to prevent, prevent you, present you with some of the evidence that does not mean that maple syrup can't easily be overdone, just like any sweetener. Um, white table sugar. Um, everybody equates every carbohydrate to white table sugar, which is not. Table sugar is um, 
typically processed from sugar cane or sugar beets, and there is a very long process to come out to get white table sugar, cane sugar. Um, again, you start with a plant that has a lot of good qualities, and you end up with a substance that's just basically um, a simple, simple sugar that the body can absorb that has no other nutrients to it. And plus, again, the possible toxins associated with the production of it. That's table sugar. What about some of the other sugar substitutes? Um, maple syrup, agave, molasses, honey, um, fruit syrup such as date sugar. Uh, there's even a coconut um, palm sugar that is, is made. What about these things? Are they good? Um, are they just as bad as sugar? Do they cause oxidative damage? Because we do know that pure table sugar causes problems, right? It doesn't have anything to hold it back. It is just white sugar that has some toxins associated with it that can get into your cell and cause oxidative damage very quickly. So no, you shouldn't go around just having a spoonful of sugar, as Mary Poppins would say, uh, on everything. So the cups of sugar to the sweet tea, the cups of sugar in Coca-Cola, the cups of sugar into pastry and pastries and candies and all those kind of things, no, those are not, not good for you. But what about, um, you know, the other, the other ones, such as maple syrup? So there was a study that looked at the total amount of antioxidants. Now, when I talked about sugar, I'm talking about oxidative stress, the generation of free radicals. Those are the chemicals that ultimately cause damage to the endothelial cells. So they can cause disruption so that Cholesterol and other fats can get under the endothelial cell wall. Inflammatory proteins and white blood cells can get under the wall. And you get this foam cells and inflammatory reactions, and you can have a plaque rupture. So oxidative stress is bad. That's what happens when you eat a steak. That's what happens when you, um, you know, eat the standard American diet. You create oxidative stress. And the more of that you have, uh, the bigger chance that you have to have vascular damage. But maple syrup and these other alternative sugars actually have antioxidants. So there was a study done that looked at 12 different types of antioxidants, including sugar and corn syrup. So, um, you know, there's corn syrup, there's high fructose corn syrup. They contain minimal antioxidants. If you looked at raw cane sugar before some of the processing... There was a little amount of antioxidants, 0.1 millimole per 100 grams serving. However, if you looked at dark and blackstrap molasses, they had the highest amount of antioxidants, 4.6 to 4.9 millimoles. Maple syrup, brown sugar, honey, uh, intermediate amounts, 0.2 to 0.7. If you looked at 130 grams of day of refined sugar, which is basically an average American, and you substitute molasses, um, you actually get the amount of antioxidants for about a cup of blueberries. So you can see that they're certainly much, much better than uh, what we see with plain old sugar. And certainly not in the category of causing more harm. Now, they have their own problems as far as too many calories, um, you know, too much of a sugar load in people with diabetes or trouble with glucose receptors. So 
there, there, there's a, there is a set of problems with adding a lot of ex excessive calories in just in general. So if you start just with disregard adding maple syrup to everything, you're certainly going to be better um, looking at more fruit than just putting maple syrup on thing as a health food. So it's not a health food in such that we should try to consume more maple syrup. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's not something that's going to be the one that tips you over to have your heart attack or to have your bypass surgery in and of itself. In fact, maple syrup contains phenolytics, praseazines, vitamins, organic acids, and some phytonutrients that might actually be, you know, again, have some beneficial. Um, there is also a randomized trial looking at refined sugar versus maple syrup, and they looked at the intestinal microbiome. They ultimately did this on 42 people, and they did eight weeks of testing, and then they would wash out for four weeks, and then they would do eight weeks of a flavored syrup. So it was a pretend maple syrup versus real maple syrup, and they looked at glucose tolerance and blood pressure and found that actually people that did the maple syrup had a little bit better glucose tolerance and lower blood pressure than just sucrose. So again, it's um, a reasonable sweetener substitute. You use as little as you can because nobody needs the extra calories for the most part. If you're somebody looking to get extra calories, I always look to increase calories with as much nutrition as you're trying to get a hold of as opposed to just do simple simple sugar so if i was running a marathon and i just needed carbohydrates i wasn't worried about intake for that day as far as vitamins and nutrients then fine maple syrup is a good way to go perhaps on the other hand if you're looking for overall health we want to get fiber antioxidants more vitamins and nutrients the bigger bang for your buck per calorie is what we're looking for in every food, whether it's fat, carbohydrate, or protein. The other piece of evidence that I will support in uh, um, as far as alternatives to refined sugar is, is honey in the Hadza tribe um, that was studied by um, Herman Ponser in the book and presented in the book Burn. The Hatsa tribe is one of the last hunter-gathering tribes in Africa, and they get the majority of their calories from honey, tubers, and a little bit of meat and some, and some other fruit. And they, they get, I think, 30% of their calories from honey. They don't have any cardiovascular disease or cancer. Um, they do get infections, you know, when you get stabbed by a, you know, a rusty arrow, so, far, so to speak, you can get into trouble. But for the most part, those people don't have any lifestyle disease and they're eating a lot of honey, a lot of, you know, and a lot of sweet potatoes. So uh, they also don't have any obesity. Um, so there's something in our American, uh, standard American diet besides just honey and molasses and maple syrup that's causing the problems. He also studied primates. Uh, again, primates living in the wild, uh, they don't get... Um, lifestyle diseases like uh, homo sapiens. Dogs and cats, however, do get our lifestyle diseases, mainly because we started feeding them what we feed. We give them sugar, excessive amounts of calories, uh, and highly processed foods that are contaminated with all kinds of uh, heavy metals and byproducts that cause cancer. So a food in its most simple original form is less likely to cause a problem than something that's been processed. Bottom line, over and over and over again. Speaking of processed, I was looking on Instagram and looking at vegan runners and was all excited about this young vegan runner doing very, very well. 
And um, I saw that she had a reference uh, on her Instagram account to Duncan Hines Vanilla Frosting. And below it, she said it's vegan. Um, so that led me down a dark, uh, deep, dark tunnel looking into frosting. And I've seen it before. I actually witnessed it on Hope Pass, somebody sitting, um, squeezing frosting into their mouth up on Hope Pass as a source of calories. So what exactly is in frosting? So I took the deep dive and are all frostings created equal? Spoiler alert, there's not one frosting with maple syrup or any kind of natural sweeteners. So it's all sugar, high fructose corn syrup and sugar. But that's not the problem because again, if she is running a 100 mile race or a 200 mile race and she's looking for an additional source of a lot of carbohydrates quick, sugar's not gonna be that big a problem in her. Duncan Hines, maybe, well, I can't tell you which one's better. So I looked at Duncan Hines, Pillsbury and Betty Crocker for starters. Duncan Hines ingredient of the vanilla frosting. First ingredient, sugar. Second ingredient, water, palm oil, corn syrup, corn starch, mono and diglyceride, salt, ta uh, titanium dioxide, yellow dye number five, red dye number 40, polysorbate 60, artificial rum flavor, potassium sorbite, pyrophosphate, sodium citrate, sodium steroids, and uh, two tablespoons have 140 calories. Compare that to Pillsbury, we have the same sugar. Um, we got palm oil now right up front, corn syrup, canola oil added to theirs, mono and dye, uh, glycerides, polysorbate, modified cornstarch, modified gets me a little bit concerned, I would guess that's genetically modified corn syrup, potatoes, uh, potassium sorbate, soy lecithin, xanthan gum, citric acid, ascorbyl palmitate. Betty Crocker has sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Uh, palm oil, cornstarch, water, monoglycerates, polysorbate 60, yellow dye number 50, polys, and the um, potassium sorbates. So there's a lot of toxins that you're going to gather, gather when you're taking this icing in, and it's bad enough to have it on a piece of cake, but to make your diet while you're running all day long of this stuff, I don't think that's a very good idea. There was an ultra-runner in the early days before all these gels and things that actually used to run with a stick of butter dipped in sugar and people made fun of him but again that was more healthy than this combination of chemicals um, processed seed oils and uh, and sugar so I'm not advocating any of this real icing uh, traditional icing is usually made with butter and sugar um, that would be the kind that uh, your grandmother would have used, again, sugar, not so good. Um, take that one step further a little bit better. Cashew cream icing with maple syrup is a viable alternative. Um, take that one step further. You can cut the cashews just a little bit for creaminess. Do silken tofu and some maple syrup sweetener. So then take it one step further and then you can do some fruit, fruit spread, cook fruit down, fruit puree uh, on top of a very thin layer of uh, something to make it stick to the top or not. And you can make a healthy cake. So there's ways about making a cake healthy, but none that you're going to find in the grocery store and none that you're going to find quick. But again, even those homemade alternatives are so much better than these artificial uh, sweeteners and things. So um, 
the reason for all this stuff, I mean, and it's everything. If you go down the aisles, you can find this in, in the middle shelves of about any aisles. You'll be able to find these things. Titanium dioxide is one of the chemicals that, um, you know, have a problem within all these binders. And if you start adding up all the different places where you might find these things, it's, it's in a lot of different places, whether it's, um, you know, shelf-stable stable box uh, foods or whether it's in, you know, processed vegan burgers, garden burgers, nuggets, um, you know, certainly frozen cakes and all this other kind of stuff that, uh, you know, people advertise as being healthy uh, or vegan, you know, vegan cheesecakes or vegan, all these other things that people say, whether well, vegan or vegan cheeses, they're not. They're very, very unhealthy made from these process in, you know, what I'd like to call as a chemistry experiment. There was a recall on Kraft pasteurized prepared cheese products, otherwise known as their cheese slices. It seems as though the plastic film that they've changed the packaging to gets stuck and people have been eating the plastic or eating the coating and choking on this. And again, that led me to um, the packaging of some of these prepared foods. And again, the carcinogens associated with that. So if you send a kid to school with a cheese sandwich or cheese slices or cheese, you know, all the things, they're also getting exposed to these packaging products and potential choking hazards of sorts. So, you know, things that we just don't think about um, is very important. There even went down a rabbit hole as far as if you make your own cheese, how to cover it up. And, and you have to watch the coverings on things because, again, it leaches into the product. Uh, and you're, you're getting a source of toxins that add up over time. So as you know, I follow a lot of carnivores and keto people on Instagram to see what they're saying and see the comments. And there are thousands of people following these people, and they're very passionate about how great their bacon is and how great they feel and how proud they are of their high cholesterol and how they've never looked or felt better and how they reverse their eczema and all these different things that they feel better from eating all this high keto diet. The reality of it is some of them probably have lost weight, a lot of them probably haven't or they're about to gain it back. But again, if you, if you cut out the Twinkies and the fast food and the pizza and you're just eating you know, um, meat, chances are you're going to cut your calories. But nevertheless, these people have a big following. Um, and I saw a picture today of a cardiologist saying, hey, um, you know, bacon's not all bad. And I was like, what? And he was really um, a spoof that he went and he had all this bacon on there and he talks about, you know, uh, he actually pu published all the studies or showed all the studies behind showing an increased risk of cancer, increased risk of uh, cardiovascular disease, increased risk of diabetes, increased mortality associated with these highly processed meats. But so you can eat cancer, you can eat, I'm sorry, you can eat uh, bacon as long as it's made from zucchini or eggplant or carrot um, so again, you know, it's the seasonings on things that really come about uh, that, you know, make things taste good. So if you know how to season things and you put the same seasoning in maple in, in uh, eggplant bacon that's in, you know, regular Canadian bacon, it tastes, you know, kind of like it or as good as an alternative, which is not going to kill you is the bottom line. So if you add, uh, you know, maple flavoring to your eggplant bacon, again, you've got some antioxidants in there. It's not all bad. Um, may have, some, you know, and they still won't have the calories that bacon has because it's not having the, the, the fat associated with it. But 
when I looked at his followers of the people besides me that liked it or even nobody made a comment besides me, uh, I said, nice job, uh, you know, keep it up. He's a wellness cardiologist. I don't know where he is. May have to get him on the podcast. I have his name now. But, uh, you know, there wasn't anybody else that liked it. He was like in a vacuum. So it's a sad state of affairs, you know, when people, uh, they're, they're very attached to their bacon for some reason. Um, not exactly not exactly sure of how that came about. But if I were just scrolling past Twitter and stop there, he said, you know, this cardiologist says bacon's not bad. So I could just go ahead and quote that. I saw it on Instagram. Cardiologist said bacon's not bad. So I can go on and, you know, share it with all my friends and say, see there, Dr. Delaney, uh, this guy's smart. And he said bacon's not bad. And, and that's what happens a lot. Um, when a, there's a doctor-patient interaction, or perhaps there's not even a doctor-patient interaction, probably there's possibly there's a nurse practitioner um, or a PA interaction that maybe translates what the doctor's going to say, or maybe a nurse translates what the doctor or she's heard say or the protocol. But people often hear just the first sentence or the first part of things. Um, you know, I likened it to when my cat Tony had to have his arm amputated. In two weeks, he'll be hopping around uh, like new. That's what I heard. I didn't hear, um, and I don't believe it was said, those two weeks leading up to um, that 10-day, 14-day period that it would be very dicey and difficult. And that often happens with procedures and surgeries is that uh, you'll feel much better, we'll get this out, you can go on with your life, but there's this period of time where there's some bumps in the road, so to speak. Uh, and that happens almost always after cardiovascular surgery. There's almost always a bump in the road, no matter how healthy the person was to come in, because your heart's been stopped, perhaps, uh, or not stopped. If it's a, a beating heart bypass, but it's certainly valvular surgery, your heart has to be stopped. You're placed on a bypass machine. You're given anesthesia. You have somebody, uh, you have a ventilator breathing for you. You have your chest, lungs collapse. There's tubes. There's pacing wires. There's all kinds of things that really aren't shown in the nitty-gritty details it'll be okay you won't remember and chances are you won't remember most of it but your family will and the the most common thing after bypass surgery is atrial fibrillation atrial fibrillation is the most common arrhythmia that there is i've talked about it a lot of times but almost everybody gets some of it post-operatively there are medicines we put people on to try to prevent it but the reality of it is most people have a little atrial fibrillation after a surgery um now that people are going home early, it may not hit till they get home. And so now they have a heart, they may feel it, they may not feel it. They may have swelling in their ankles uh, or shortness of breath. And um, they talk to somebody and say, well, you have heart failure. And that sets off a panic, right? Because if you just had your heart fixed and now they're telling you you have heart failure, that's a bad thing um, because they were supposed to fix your heart. If it's failing, then, you know, what's going to happen? Was this all for naught? And obviously people will go down a rabbit hole that things are bad. But heart failure doesn't always mean that it's the heart that's failing. It may mean that, you know, there's a period of adjustment when it comes to valve surgery. If, there's, uh, if the heart was, you know, pumping blood out the aorta, 
aortic valve, but it was also backing up into the mitral valve. Then when you close off the mitral valve, as far as the backup goes, then the heart has to learn to pump a little stronger forward. Uh, there can be a little problem with fluid overload, um, which again, people describe as heart failure because the fluid backs up into the lungs and people have trouble breathing or into the ankles. Doesn't mean your heart's failing or that it's broken forever. It just means it's adjusting. If you have the arrhythmias and your heart's out of sync, just like your car's out of sync, you can retain some fluid. Doesn't mean your heart is failing. It means that it needs to be adjusted, so to speak. The rhythms need to be adjusted. Um, but again, those words, you know, left undescribed can really and should send some people into a panic. And of course, when some of those things happen, you, you know, obviously start to say, well, you know, should I have done this? Should I have done it now? And it is very, very worrisome. Um, and I think sometimes we're talked into some things and turn over rocks and maybe look as we get older to try to prevent something and sign up for a test that may not ultimately be in our best interest. You know, So it comes, what are we going to do with the information? What are we going to do uh, with the results of this test or procedure? And is it going to make me better? Is it going to make me live longer? Um, and you know, what are the complications and what can I expect? Those are conversations that would be nice to have. These things may happen. Chances are they will happen. But we're going to get through them, and this is how we're going to get through them. Um, when this happens, this is who you call. This is what we'll do. This is how we treat it. Um, it takes the fear out of, we've seen this before, as opposed to, you know, I've never seen this before. Don't you like when you hear somebody say, well, you know, nobody's ever complained about that before. I've never heard that before. I've never seen that complication before. You don't want to be that person. But, some of the, but most of these things, you're not that person. It happens to a lot of people. People just forget to tell you that that's a potential. Same thing with biopsies. You know, if you go to the dermatologist and they start taking off things and they may say, you know, you have a pre-malignant or a cancer in situ, uh, even biopsies of other places, there may be abnormal cells or cancer in situ, meaning that there's some cells that aren't quite right, but... Um, they really haven't left out to go outside their, um, you know, outside the fence. Um, they're just in this little spot and we've taken it out and it may or may not, they may or may not have ever gone any further, you know, because our body has the ability to get rid of bad cells if we let it and give it the opportunity, give the right nutrients. So in situ may have been something, you know, there might've been some dust in the corner that your body needs to clear out and it would have given the opportunity, but you didn't because you had the biopsy done. Doesn't mean that we should start intervening with a bunch of, uh, of, of surgeries. Sometimes watchful waiting is a very, very good course of action. Uh, but again, cancer word with as we stopped listening at that point um, and we stopped asking questions. We, you know, it's, it's again, the big mortality scare comes. The biggest question you can always ask, is this going to make me live longer or is this going to make me live better? If it doesn't change those two answers, then you, you got to really question what you're, what you're doing. You got to look at your quality of life. What are you doing and what would you like to do? That's the other thing, because if, um, you know, if you're, you know, if the bar is really low, you got to take that into consideration. If you want to do something great, you also have to take that into consideration. My colleagues never bring up diet as a possible cause of heart failure. 
Um, you know, we talk about don't eat too much salt, don't add salt to your plate. Most people aren't salting these days. I see some people do it. Doctors in the doctor's lounge add salt to their eggs, but um, I don't see it in, well, I don't go to restaurants much, and I don't, but I don't see people adding a whole lot of salt to things. It's already in there. The, the, the restaurants are, you know, salty foods uh, are the cheapest foods. They have the longest shelf life. Uh, you're less likely to get a bacterial poisoning if there's a lot of salt in the food. So beans, cheese, soup, veggie burgers, uh, processed salts, processed foods all have a lot of salt that can, can ta- cause you ultimately to retain water because there's salt and you go retain the water, it goes into your lungs, and we call it heart failure. Um, so watching what you eat is a huge role as far as post-operative uh, potential to have a problem um, and again, when things aren't working just right, you got to be careful. Um, if we overload our system in times where it's just coming back, it's easy to get into trouble. So it made me very angry when, you know, um, maple syrup was blamed as a cause of heart failure when we are heart disease or coronary artery disease, when we are failing to look at the big picture and, and the, the big things that cause heart disease, lack of exercise, normalization of body mass index to decrease inflammation, eating a plant-based diet, not eating processed food, decreasing our sodium intake. Those are the things we need to get down, you know, the things that we can tr- control readily. Um, nitpicking, um, being too minute, I think it just makes people overwhelmed and they're not going to do it. They just see us, this is something I can't do. Um, the quote I heard today, I'll wait, you know, I'm getting companies. So after my company leaves, then I'll try it or try to make some changes after they come. But actually I'm getting company now and then I'm getting company again in two weeks. So it's going to be difficult. I'm going on vacation. I'm doing, uh, I'll, I'll deal with it then. There's always something, there's always a reason for not addressing what's causing the problem. Um, and Again, it's a big role in your ultimate quality of life. So you can't really afford to wait till the time is right and nothing's happening to address because there's going to be a finite period of time. If you only do it when it's great, um, you have nothing better to do. Well, that's when you're probably likely to eat something wrong anyway. So you're better off getting this down in the, um, you know, get it down now and then get it down while you're actually living your life. If you really like a food, look what the ingredients are and make it yourself. That's the, that's the biggest thing you can do. Most of the stuff that's you know out there, you can replicate it. You just can't replicate it in hundreds of tiny, same-size packaged objects. But you can make small batches. So look at what, what's in the ingredients and you know substitute the plant-based ones. Take out the bad stuff and, and you have it. You don't have to buy xanthan gum or soy lecithin. You don't need it because you're not preserving it for the millennium. You're just preserving it for the couple days that you want to use it. So you don't need all those salt and sodium and all this kind of preservative. So just use the basic ingredients and try to stay away from seed oils and try to stay from high fructose corn syrup and all those things. And, and you'll do much, much better. If, you're, you know, if your body mass index is normal and your fat mass index is normal, you're probably doing very well and you're, you're on a good path and you're doing the best you possibly can. You're exercising um, you know, you're, and, you're, and you feel good. You're not short of breath. You're, you're doing the best that you can. On the other hand, if you're just skinny but you, can't, you, know, you get short of breath when you, when you walk or you have a normal BMI but you have no muscle mass, um, then there's room for improvement and that's what you have to address. Most people don't make any significant changes after a health scare. A uh, bypass might get you six weeks of good behavior in most instances. A uh, high blood pressure scare gets you a couple weeks of watching your salt intake. 
for the most part, none of those things are, are very long lasting. You know, I dodged that bullet, can go on back with the regular, uh, with my life as it was, or I lost 20 pounds so I can do what I can, and while it kind of slowly gains back on. Oh, it's my birthday, I can't really uh, do that because, uh, you know, it's, it's my birthday and it's my day to uh, treat myself to anything that I want, just like I did yesterday in the t- and I will tomorrow. Look in the mirror, look in the scale, look at your glucose, look at your blood pressure, look at your activity log. Those are things you can do to help yourself uh, make some some changes. I don't think we have to eat an extreme plant-based diet of uh, carrots, celery, and kale. Um, Certainly, um, you can go from where you are and... Um, make the changes, add more vegetables, add more fiber, eat more, eat, eat less processed, get rid of the dairy, get rid of the meat first, first and foremost, um, start eliminating uh, unnecessary processed oils in your food, seed oils. Um, it's, it's not that hard. If you haven't ever been to your kitchen in the last three years, it's going to be a little bit more, more difficult. Um, but I still think that if you really want to be healthy, you're going to have to take an active role in your own Um, dietary menu and food ultimately what you put in your mouth is your responsibility I was watching YouTube videos on the Leadville marathon and since uh, Leadville I'm sorry 100 mile run what am I saying marathon it's a 100 mile trail run marathons are 26.2 for those non-runners out there Uh, 100 miles is 100 miles and Leadville is the highest city in this in the continental U.S. and the Leadville Marathon runs around 12,500 feet so it's a very very difficult challenging 100 mile race and I turned on the YouTube videos and lo and behold I saw a guy that we saw up at the aid station that did not finish it's called a DNF did not finish and he made it 62 miles before uh, he was pulled because he timed out, didn't meet the cutoff times. And he had some um, video of the course, and he had a video talking about after and what, what happened. So the biggest part of the video was, you know, the hype about getting ready for it. He had a van and, you know, all the, all the things, his, his gear, his crew everybody's pumped he had you know um, a game plan for everybody so everybody would be on board as far as the crew goes he had his uh, nutrition planned out and um turns out like i said he did not make it past 62 miles and so to back up a little bit well i I guess i'll I'll go with what you know he was talking about you know he, he really was disappointed as you would be that, that he didn't make it. He was very confident that he thought he could do it because he was very athletic. If you look at him, he was very muscular, lean, looked like a you know weightlifting kind of guy. Um, had done other challenges in his life, so you know he was he was ready to commit and dig in. Um, but he kept saying that you know um, his muscles and his legs didn't feel bad, but he just kept slowing down. And ultimately, when he hit, when he made it to the 50-mile turnaround, he started back up the mountain. Um, the wheels fell off, and he got nauseated. And then by the time he got back to us on top of the mountain at Hope Pass, he wasn't going to make it, so he just sat by the fire and kind of collected himself before he went back down to Twin Lakes to meet his wife, who was his pacer, you know, to let her know that, you know, this, it wasn't going to work. When we met him on top of the hill... Um, he was sitting by the fire and he was disappointed that he hadn't made it. Um, again, he was talking about all the other endeavors in his life that he put his mind to and that he had been able to do. 
But then he said that it's the first ultra that he ever ran, and he started training in October. So this was August, so he started training that October, and hadn't run another ultra. So he picks like the hardest ultra that there is, and you know only has a limited amount of time to train for it, and you know it didn't work out. He thought he had a plan. Um, you know, he he thought he had it. You know planned out very well, but again, it was his first time, and his perception that he felt, well, I kept saying, you know, um, my legs feel good, you know, uh, I wasn't that tired, you know, my legs weren't sore, I didn't have any injuries, but, uh, you know, I just didn't make it, I just didn't make it. Um, I thought I was, he was conserving energy at first, you know, because he wanted to save it for the end, um, maybe he should have run faster. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, it didn't work out. And, you know, it's a lot like life. The clock is running. Um, there are cutoffs. You only get so many chances. Uh, and not everybody wins when they have a procedure or a, a big operation or a big change in lifestyle. Um, you know, sometimes you do the best you can, but you have to be at peace with the outcomes. And, you know, he, he looked at it as a learning experience because failure oftentimes is a learning experience, but he didn't have enough experience to really learn from, you know, there were so many things he didn't know he didn't know um, that he was, you know, he, he still has a lot to learn, you know. So the reality of it is, you know, and he mentioned the altitude certainly has, uh, a, you know, a um, an impact, especially when you're out there all day, hydration, nutrition, you know, he's new to ultra running. So his perception or recollection of what was going right was probably somewhat flawed. Um, he talked in the beginning of the video about he had A, B, and C goals, which were all involving finishing. Um, but again, the middle part of the plan was probably not that well spelled out as far as, you know, just muscle through it because he was a big guy, he was a young guy, had lots of muscle. What could possibly go wrong? You know, he talked about maybe adjusting that maybe if he'd have went faster in the beginning, but the reality of it is he also talked about his heart rate going up. If your heart rate goes up, you can't supply a lot of blood to your GI tract, so you can't take in nutrition. If you can't take in nutrition, you don't get glucose to your muscles and the wheels fall off. So, you know, again, it comes back to the best laid plans um, when, we, when we're looking at our own nutrition and our own health, health goals. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. We assume if we do certain things that it's going to be all right, but there's a lot of there's a lot of things left in the detail, and we have to pay attention to the detail along the way to make it actually work out or have the best chance of working out. The reality of it, if it's his first ultra, it takes a while to build your muscles and tendons up to carry that kind of mileage. It's not something that you can just go out and do on a whim. Even if you are in good football shape or soccer shape, it's a different sport. And it requires specific training. So, um, you know, even if he had walked more, perhaps he wouldn't have made the, made the cutoffs. He did good, great to get to 62 miles. Um, and it became a learning experience for him. I think it was fabulous that he gave it a go. Um, you know, it was a giant challenge. And he took the bait uh, of his buddies and he signed up and he, he did the best of his ability. And now he's hooked. He's going to go back to the drawing board and figure out what he did, learn some more, and, and take it on again. 
um, which is great. I think that that's what we all do. We, we, you know, you reassess, but you have to pay attention to the details and look as hard at what went wrong and be honest with yourself of what actually went wrong. Uh, I have so many people that come into the office and they say, I don't need anything, yet I gain weight. I'm perfect. My diet is perfect, and yet my cholesterol is high. And no, that's not true. I know that's not true, um, but it's not that they're lying. It's their perception or the inability to look at the times when things weren't going right. That's why I think that calendar is such an important thing to be able to track, uh, track your exercise, track how things are going, track your metrics. Then you can really tell what's going on along the way as opposed to, I did everything right when you look back because our looking back is always 2020. Looking back is always through rose-colored glasses. Everything was right, but yet I didn't get what I want. The two perceptions about plant-based nutrition is that it's easy, anybody can do it, I got it down, or it's impossible and nobody can do this and it doesn't work. Everything falls someplace in the middle, um, and paying attention to details will let you refine. You have to start from where you are and keep adjusting and look at your metrics and keep moving forward. If, it's, if the needle's not going where you think it should go, then you have to readjust. Perfect doesn't exist even for those doctors that are on the vegan cruises. Um, I've heard stories. So um, nobody's perfect. You can't be perfect. You can't put the bar there because it does set you up for failure. You do the best you can. You keep refining your diet, refining your diet, and things will, things will turn around the way you expect them to. If you would like help navigating through a healthcare journey, a healthcare crisis, your nutrition or an exercise plan, we'd love to help you here at the practice. Go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. And we'd love to help you get, uh, help you help yourself to become uh, the healthiest person that you can be and have the ultimate health span that you can have. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com, uh, answer any questions, talk about the practice. Thanks for listening.